As you already heard, Pastor Rick is in Peru uh, doing pastoral training, and uh, I think on his behalf, I know he would say this if he were here, and I know how much fun he's having because I've done some of this stuff before myself, and you as a church have been very generous and gracious to let us do that. And as a pastor, there is really very few things that are as rewarding as helping other pastors, particularly pastors in the two-thirds world, uh, to, to do the shepherding work that they do. We, we as American pastors are so privileged with all the training and the books and resources and the materials that we have, and they have so little. Uh, be real honest with you, I feel real guilty about this sometimes, uh, what they do on the, the resources that they have. And uh, so it's, it's a great privilege to be able to serve them. And I know that uh, Rick would feel uh, is just having a blast, I'm sure, and uh, very much appreciates that, and I know he would say that if he's here. And so, and and I'd like to say thanks for the times that you've let me do the same thing. So, um, we appreciate this church and as pastors, and you're a, a great a great group to serve. And so, thank you. Um, well, our passage today is John chapter 21. We're continuing on in the book of John, and uh, I'm I'm really glad I got this one. This one's about fishing, and y'all know I love to fish, and so um, I had a lot of fun living in John chapter 1 this last week. It was a really sweet time. And this is a story, um, biblical narrative. Uh, and again, I, and that's, I love preaching that most of all because you can get in the story and live with Jesus. And so just the, the privilege as pastors to spend all week in a piece of the Bible and just kind of live there, meditating on this same scripture all week long, every day, thinking about this and entering into this this situation into this story, making it mine, living it. Um, it's just been a lot of fun, and particularly this one, because it's just such a sweet, warm, a warm story. And so hopefully uh, I can bring you there with me, and we can go and live this story together in the next uh, 20, 30 minutes or so. So um, the setting is three or four weeks after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he had appeared to his disciples that day after he was resurrected, and then a week later he met with them in a large group. He's, he's appeared to some individuals in a couple of situations. And now this is the third time that he is, is going to show himself to a group of his disciples. Jesus told his disciples that they were to go after his resurrection, they were to go up into Galilee and wait for him there. And so they, that's what they're doing. That's where they're at. They're up in Galilee. I would guess, doesn't say, but I would guess... They're in Capernaum, that's Peter's hometown, that's uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee's hometown, um, and they're there on the shores of uh, the Sea of Galilee, it's going to call it the, the Sea of Tiberias here, that's the Roman name, but it's the Sea of Galilee, and they're, they're waiting there for Jesus, and it's been probably two, three weeks, a couple of weeks since they've seen him, they don't know what's coming next. Uh, they're just doing what they've been told. And so let's go to John chapter 21. If you've got your Bibles, turn to that. If not, it'll be on the screen. We can read along together. Let's, let's familiarize ourselves with the story. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, uh, Simon Peter Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and that would be James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. He called out to them, 
Uh, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, or little children actually is what he said, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him, for he had taken it off. Literally, it's he was naked. Uh, NIV felt they needed to soften that for some reason. And uh, jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's put ourselves in that story. Uh, Let's go there. Uh, This is 100 yards off the shore. The shore's back that way, out in the middle of Olinda Trail. That's about 100 yards. That's where the shore's at. This is the Sea of Galilee. The background, you can see the, the... hills in behind us and the waves are lapping and uh, this is that sea uh, and imagine that if you're Peter and uh, James, John the others, they're fishermen, that's what they do for a living they have all their life they're, uh, this, is, this is hard work and uh, these guys are robust healthy, very strong uh, very probably very athletic uh, young men who have been asked to go wait, and it's been a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, I, they're antsy. They're getting bored, I think, sitting there in Capernaum waiting for some word. And uh, um, Peter, I think, just probably couldn't stand it anymore and said, let's go fishing. And the guy said, you bet, let's do it. And so uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, that family owned a fishing business. And so they had at least a boat, probably more. They had employees that worked for them in their fishing business. Peter himself owned a boat, uh, probably may have partnered with them in some way. We don't really know. So they had boats available to them that were ready to go. And so they headed out to to go fishing. Uh, This fishing family and Peter and the others were with them. And uh, their boat, and, you know, imagine and we're sitting in the boat out here 100 yards off the shore, and we actually know what these boats look like because uh, we found one about a decade ago or so in the Sea of Galilee, sunk in the mud as the lake dried up. They found this outline of the boat in the shore, and they've raised it up, and they've, they've made some models of it. And it's a boat from just the time of Jesus. Uh, actually, who knows, maybe it was the boat. Who knows? Probably not. But it looked like that. It's about 27 feet long. It was kind of from over there on the stage by the other side of the plants to the other side of the plants over here. Uh, it's about 7 feet wide, if you can picture that. Uh, the sides are about 4 feet. So this is the rear of the boat. That's the front. And they've been casting their nets all through the night, and they've been fishing. Now, 
The reason that they went out at night, that's not unusual. That's the normal time that they would go fishing. These nets that they fished with were uh, very heavy, very dark, um, kind of like this minnow seine that I've hung up here with the floats on the top and the weights on the bottom, uh, except a lot bigger. And uh, they would cast out this kind of trammel net out into the water, and then they would begin to drag it back to, the, to their boat and uh, pull up whatever they could find. And oftentimes, the bottom of the net, some of those weights would get stuck on logs or rocks or whatever in the bottom. And so one or two of them had to stay kind of stripped down, probably in his underwear, you know, kind of a loincloth around him, and be ready to jump in, dive down, swim to the bottom, unhook anything that got snagged up, and come back in the boat and help pull the nets in. And so you're kind of getting a picture of what's going on. These seven guys in the boat, actually sevens, maybe one or two more than normal, so the boat might have been a little crowded. Uh, but they're out there fishing, and they fished uh, all night long in this boat, if you can, you can picture it with their nets. Um, and I think, you know, we can get an appreciation for fishermen. Uh, these guys were tough physically. I mean, think about that kind of work hour after hour pulling these nets. I mean, they were, and, and the best time of year for fishing was not now. This would have been April. The best time was in the winter when it was colder and in the rainy season. And so if you can imagine, that's kind of typical to be out there in your underwear, diving into the cold water, you know, working all night long in the rain, whatever weather might have come. I mean, these guys, I would say, were tough, hardened uh, individuals. They, they worked hard and, and were in excellent shape. They would also have been very good businessmen. Part of uh, what it meant to be a fisherman uh, was that you not only had the, the physical work, the labor of catching the fish, but for guys like James and John and Peter who owned their boats and that were the owners of their business, they also had to market these fish. And so they would travel widely to Jerusalem, some of the other Roman cities that were scattered around the area, and they would interact with people. It's very likely that these guys probably knew, well, for sure, at least two languages, more likely four. They would obviously know Aramaic. That was their native language. They would know Hebrew because that was the language of their faith. Uh, They would very likely know Greek because they would need to market their goods to Greeks in these cities that surrounded them. And there were some Greek-speaking cities very close to this little Jewish village of Capernaum. Uh, It's not... Uh, unlikely that they would also have a working knowledge of Latin because they would also have to interact with uh, Roman soldiers and that sort of thing and and tax collectors. And so uh, here are uh, these fishermen and we get a picture of what kind of life they live, what kind of skills they would need and you begin to get some insight into why they would really make great missionaries. Uh, Their ability to interact with different cultures, their uh, knowledge of languages, their, their toughness, um, their uh, ability to, to, as salesmen, you know, to, to interact with people and all that. Um, you, you get to see how some of what they've been doing all their life would have equipped them for what Jesus was about to ask them to do. Now, they had fished all night long and in the boat. And, uh, you know, this is the scene as you think of uh, this picture that you have be- behind us. Put yourself there. And they've been working all night long, dragging these nets to their boat, and they get nothing. It's, it's just uh, 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 the night was a failure for them. Now, I don't, I don't think that's a big surprise. Um, as a guy who is affectionately known as Reverend Shutdown in the local bass fishing community, um, I've experienced this myself a number of times, as well as the people who fish with me. 
Doug Bierman and I one time were on fishing on uh, Lake Mille Lacs, and uh, we never caught a fish that whole day long. Neither did any other boat on that lake, uh, which some of you may have had experienced. I don't know if that was my fault or not, uh, but nobody caught anything that day as well. So it's, I mean, every fisherman knows that sometimes it just doesn't work out. So it's not surprising. I'm sure they had times like that before. Uh, but the night was ending. There's a sun is cracking in the east. There's a little bit of light that's beginning to show through. And they know that their evening of fishing is coming to a close. And so they're getting ready to pack it in. They're kind of pulling their nets up and, and getting ready to go. But they're, again, 100 yards back, uh, kind of out there on Olinda Trail. You know, out of, that far away from us right here is this solitary figure that's shown up and is watching them. And they haven't noticed him yet. And he's just standing there. And as they're beginning to wrap things up, he yells out at them, Children! You know, way from way over there. So it's going to be, Children! <clears throat> you caught any! And they turned and see this guy. No! You know, they haven't. And so he yells back to them again, Try it on the right side of the boat! Now, all the commentators that are, you know, are always sort of confused by this. Now, why would they listen to this guy on the shore? But as a fisherman, uh, we know that there are spots. And these guys were fishing a spot that they know was a good fishing spot. But fishermen understand that there are spots on the spots. Uh, there's that inside turn with that rock pile at that spot so that the guy in the front of the boat doesn't catch anything, but the guy in the back does. And because you're fishing the spot on the spot. So, you know, if there's a, a local guy there that has some knowledge about the spot on the spot and he's trying to tell them the spot on the spot is right there, uh, yeah, I think they would go, all right, let's give it one more try. And every little kid who's ever fished understands about one last cast. So, uh, you know, you just got to try it one more time. And so instead of on this side, they go on this side and they throw out their nets and they begin to pull it in and they begin to feel that thing that I'm sure these guys, they just fill them with adrenaline when it happened. That, that tug, that weight, that wiggle, that, that shaking that was going on. Uh, and when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish, it says. And so there's this excitement, this adrenaline rush when they realize that, hey, we didn't just pick up a couple of fish from the spot on the spot. Our net is full. And it's there that John, you know, the intuitive, is the first one to figure it out. Whoa, we've seen this before. I can't see that guy, but that is the Lord. And John says it. He, he whispers it out. That's the Lord. And Peter, who, you know, he can't contain himself. I mean, all of a sudden, the adrenaline, the excitement of pulling in all these fish and, the, and then the, the understanding, the realization, this is another one of Jesus' miracles. And he's there. The resurrected Christ is there. Can you, you know, can you just imagine the excitement, the electricity that just ran through those guys at that moment? And Peter cannot contain himself. And it says he grabbed a robe and he threw it on now. Uh, and then he dove in the water to swim the 100-yard dash back to the shore. And a lot of people kind of question, well, you know, why would you put a robe on to swim? But I don't, if the Lord Jesus Christ is over there and I'm in my underwear, I'm going to put something on. I don't, and you would too. There isn't any of us that wouldn't have put something on to swim. Because uh, if we're going to go hug him and say hi to him, there's no way I'm going to do that in my underwear. That's just not going to happen. 
So now get this picture. This is important. This is the, this is the whole point of the message here. Here they are, these seven disciples of Jesus, and they're pulling in this net. It's loaded with fish. Jesus is on the shore, and they're dragging this boat and this net to the shore. And as they get there, as Peter comes out first, and then the others begin to arrive, Jesus is there, and he's got this nice warm fire. And here they are dripping wet, and they're cold and shivering from a night's hard work. And there's this warm, inviting fire, and there's a few fish cooking, and there's some bread. Uh, you know, in Minnesota, we got a name for this. This is shore lunch. You know, you got the bannock on there, and you've got a few fish in the frying pan, and, and uh, there's this warm fire after a, a, a great morning fishing, and you come to shore, and you have, you have shore lunch, and that's exactly what this is. And so these men are coming together to Jesus. Now, um, it's just this beautiful picture. Now, the, the other little detail that's in here is that there was 153 fish, not 150 fish, not about 150 fish, 153 fish in the net. Commentators go crazy over trying to figure out what that means. Uh, they don't have a clue because every one of them has got a different idea. Uh, but I, what it tells you is that John was there. He, he saw it. And these fishermen, they would know exactly how many fish were in the net because when it was all over, they would divvy them up and say, yeah, five for you, five for you, five for you. Peter gets eight because it's his boat kind of thing. I mean, they'd be dividing up the catch from the day and so they counted every last one of them and knew that net was full and they were it says they were big fish these are tilapia probably and they're like a pound to two pounds and they were these were big tilapia that they had pulled out of that like just a great catch just what you'd expect the Lord Jesus Christ to provide for them now this picture now you know I hopefully you're with me here I'm there I don't know about you but I'm there I'm with them I'm fishing with them and, and I'm wet and and there's that fire going, and there's Jesus. And this is so sweet to come to that little campfire and be there with those guys on that sandy, rocky beach. And there you are, right? We're there gathering around that fire in the excitement of being in His presence. This is a living parable that Jesus is laying out for them because uh, this is a prophetic look ahead to the rest of their life. This is what He was calling them to do. Uh, Jesus had said before that the kingdom of heaven is like a great trammel net that uh, goes out and is bringing in the fish. Uh, Matthew chapter 13. And when Jesus called them, he called them and said that uh, you are going to become fishers of men. That's what he called them. He told them that. They knew that. And so this experience is a, a picture for them to remind them and to teach them about what they would be doing the rest of their life. In just another two weeks, he would gather them up on a mountain in Galilee and he would give them his great commission and he would tell them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is the mission statement of these disciples and of the church. And then would come Pentecost and then would become the beginning of the church in just a few more weeks and the great fishing expedition has begun. And the gospel spreads to Jerusalem and to Judea and then to Samaria and then to Asia Minor and then to Greece and then to Italy and then to Europe. And the gospel begins its march around planet Earth from east to west, from Jerusalem all around the planet back to Jerusalem. And we are now 2,000 years 
down the road in that march of God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's still going forward, the great trammel net of God's gospel bringing in the harvest. And at the end, at the end of it all, is the shore lunch. We're all headed to the shore lunch. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb that will happen at the end of the ages when the task of bringing the gospel is completed. It is that shore lunch, that that supper with Jesus that we will spend as He uh, rewards us and the great celebration of the completion of the task that is to come. And I think that's the picture that we're seeing in this passage is the pulling of the nets to the shore and the, the great homecoming together with the Lord Jesus Christ and the rewards and the warmth of fellowship and the care and the love that's, that's found in that place. Now, failure teaches. There's another, I think, a real important lesson in this. The failure of not catching fish through the night and then when Jesus says, put it on the other side of the boat and this huge catch comes in, it drives home something that Jesus was just telling them a few weeks before. In the upper room, in John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to them about abiding in Him. And He said in John 15:5, He who abides in Me and I in Him, He bears much fruit. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. And Jesus has just demonstrated in a way that they would be able to understand better than anything else that when Jesus says you're not going to have a harvest, you're not going to have a harvest. And when Jesus says there's going to be a harvest, there's a harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a lesson here for these seven disciples to realize that to do what He's asking them to do, they need to abide in Christ. They need to be in His Word, be in prayer, stay in close, intimate fellowship with Him. And that it's out of that intimate fellowship that the power of the Holy Spirit will work in such a way that they will be able to bear fruit and join in that great harvest that He has in mind for the church. Now this story moves from being the story of the seven disciples to my story. This is my story. I'm one of those disciples. This, is about, this isn't just about Peter and James and John and Nathaniel and the others. This is about me. I have been called, when I was 17 years of age in Turtle Lake, North Dakota, in our high school gym, a gospel presentation was given, and I went to the front in my gym and I prayed the prayer to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And it was an a earth-shaking experience. But at that moment, it wasn't just about gaining salvation. It wasn't just about gaining assurance of access to heaven for eternity. At that very instant, Jesus was calling me to become a fisher of men. See, the fish in the net, funny thing about them is as soon as they're caught, they become fishermen, fisherwomen, fisher people. Uh, We become the fishermen ourselves as we are caught. And so I have been called to be a fisher of men. And recently I've been examining my life. Um, I've been a Christian, I don't know, some 30 years, and uh, I've been spending some time um, looking at my life. I did a, a little exercise where you 
Um, I got a cardboard with a lot of little post-it notes on it. And I thought about all the things that have happened in my life since my birth, in my, my childhood years, when I became a Christian in college, the early discipleship, uh, my call to ministry, my training, the, the first church I was at, this church, all the different things that have happened over the last 30 or 53 years of my life and how God has worked in all that time. Examining my life and remembering the stories, remembering the things, the, the miracles and the answers to prayer and the defeats and the failures and the disappointments and how God, you know, looking at it all and seeing God in all of those things weaving together my life. And part of that, looking at the fruit of that life. To what extent has my labor been a part of this pulling in of the net? Who knows Christ because of my life? Where's the fruit been? And I, you know, I'd say there's been some neat stuff. I, I mean, I remember there's some great stories. Of, of different ways that God has used my life that brings me great joy and satisfaction as I think about it now. But the thing that comes clear to me as I, as I think about that is that um, I've been doing a lot. I've been doing a lot. I've, I've shared the gospel a lot. I've been doing a lot. The thing I need to do more of as I think about the rest of the years of my life is I need to abide more faithfully. It's the abiding peace. It's the resting the remaining in Christ to make sure that the fruit that I bear is His fruit and not just my busy activity. And so there's a kind of a two-sided challenge that I see in this passage to me as I, I think about my life. I need to labor. I need to continue on in the, the bringing in of the net. But I can't be so busy fishing that I don't take time to be with Jesus. Jesus and that it be about a relationship with Him, and that it be about the fruit that He produces in my life. And He's really challenging me with that. It's not just my story, though. It's also our church's story. And one of the things that comes clear to me as I look back over my life and see the fruit of my life is that I didn't do any of it by myself. Nothing. Uh, it was. It's always in the body of Christ. It's always as a part of a team. It's always with groups of gifts that come together. The best and the, the most lasting and the, the better things that have ever happened have always been because I've done it as a team. And we see that in the passage. The seven guys bringing these nets to shore together. It's about the church working together. And so it's a story of our church. Our church is in this story. And we can think about our Jerusalem here and how God is using us to bring in the nets in our Jerusalem with children and with youth and with adults, and in businesses, and in clubs, and in activities, and in our schools, and just in every nook and cranny of this community, you guys are out there all over the place, being salt and light, being fishers of men. And so our church is, is scattered all through this community, and we have uh, the responsibility and the opportunity to bear this fruit for Christ in our Jerusalem. And in our Judea, as we plant churches in Osceola and Wyoming and we think about other communities, we need to keep thinking about that, about continuing to plant churches. And then we need to think about our Samaria. How can we reach those that are uh, geographically close but ethnically different from us? And then the remotest parts and the joy of being a part of bringing the gospel, partnering to bring the gospel to people around this world that did not know the name of Christ. The people group 
in Asia that we're working with, just in this last month, 22 of them have trusted Christ to be their Savior and are beginning to pull together in, in, in two other villages that looks like the possibility of two new house churches beginning in that work. It's so exciting to see God through us and the, the partnership as we share in that ministry to begin to bear uh, fruit and see a people group that did not know of Christ beginning to see a church planting movement emerging from those people. And Carrie, in her work with her people group, translating the Bible, and the, the uh, uh, people in Kiakish in Guatemala, and the work that they're doing, we can partner with them as they reach their valley for Christ. And in Africa, and Europe, and in different places all over the world, uh, we are joining with others to bring in this net. And so it's my story, it's our church's story, it's your story. And I want to challenge you to remember that your salvation is not just fire insurance. It's not just, I'm going to go to heaven now when I die. Jesus Christ has called you to be a fisher of men. Are you laboring in that work? Are you doing that? Is that, when you think about your life and you evaluate and you look back on your life, does that typify your your activities and kind of what the, kind of the main thing that your life has been been about is that you would say yes I have been a fisher of men that's me I think that's our challenge and then the second one is the need to abide to remain with Christ to see fruit because we are abiding with Jesus and he's bearing that fruit through us that's, that's the challenge of this passage. And then the last part, um, I just, I just, I love that, that shore, that shore lunch. That's so beautiful. I mean, think, wouldn't it be neat to be there? To pull that boat up on that shore and Jesus is there and that warmth of fellowship and that fire and the guys around the fire and um, what a beautiful picture. If, if, I should happen to have a car accident or something the next week and you have a funeral for me. Uh, two things. You all know I do want Be Thou My Vision so I get my funeral. I've just mentioned that before. The second thing, I think uh, that would be the message I want preached. Shore lunch. Because that's where I'd be. Uh, having shore lunch with Jesus. And that's where we're all headed. That's the reward. That's why we do it. Because of the shore lunch. Because of the fellowship. Because of the, the personal eternity with our Lord Jesus Christ enjoying that fellowship with Him. Let's pray together. Let's stand up. Let's uh, let's come into His presence and uh, speak to Him about this. Lord Jesus, um, as we come before You, this is such a neat passage, such a beautiful picture of You and your intimate friendship with these men. And we know that you, you feel that way about us. You love us and, and you love being with us. And Lord Jesus, we want to serve you. And we hear this. We see that. That, that great net coming across and the, the, the role of being fishers of men and what that means. We understand that. And we hear that call to us. And we stand before you to say we will do that. We will, we will labor. We will serve. Lord Jesus, teach us. Help us to learn. But then, Lord Jesus, too, we, we confess before you that it's easier to do than to be. It's easier to work than to wait for you. We confess that uh, 
we're too quick to run and do and that we need to, to abide. Be in your word, be in prayer. Teach us about that, Lord Jesus. We confess before you that we neglect it. As a church, give us vision. Where else should we cast the net? What else should we do? How should we pray? How should we do this? Continue to teach us. Uh, bear fruit through us. And then, Lord Jesus, we look so forward to that shore lunch with you, that marriage supper, and that home going when we will jump into your arms and you will receive us and you will reward us and you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's in your name we pray.